0: Welcome everyone to the QI chat room podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Pena. Uh, This podcast is sponsored by Aliados Health, formerly Redwood Community Health Coalition, an association of community health centers across six counties in Northern California. We seek to bring you relevant topics from the health centers, focusing on sharing best practices and new information on quality improvement at community health centers and community-based organizations. We've been hosting these podcasts since fall of 2019, and we hope you join us in the latest uh, health topics. To our live audience uh, joining us today, thank you so much, and a note that we will hold a QA and a at the end of the session, but in the meantime, please feel free to add your questions into the chat. Today's topic uh, features a conversation with the CDPH team on prenatal immunizations. Immunizations during pregnancy are critical to protect the health of pregnant people and their babies. COVID-19, influenza, RSV, and Tdap vaccines are recommended during pregnancy by CDC and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Unfortunately, immunization rates among pregnant people are low. During the 2022-2023 season, less than 50% of pregnant people received influenza vaccines. There are also significant disparities in prenatal immunization rates by race, ethnicity, and insurance status. Community health centers play an essential role in assessing, recommending, and administering recommended vaccines to pregnant people. In 2019, Aliados Health, then Redwood Community Health Coalition, partnered with the California Department of Public Health and received funding to improve prenatal immunization rates by engaging health centers across our network in four counties of Napa, Sonoma, Yolo, YOLO, and Marin, which expanded to also include Solano and Contra Costa in 2022. Today's podcast episode uh, features the California Department of Public Health and the Aliados Health uh, team who have worked with health centers to lead the prenatal immunization multi gear project. So I want to take this time to introduce our panelists. Caterina Liu, MD, MPH, is a public health medical officer with the immunization branch at the California Department of Public Health. Her work uh, focuses on the promotion of COVID-19 and routine vaccination in adults. She received her medical degree from the University of California San Francisco School of Medicine and completed her residency in internal medicine and preventive medicine at Kaiser Permanente San Francisco and UCSF. Megan Magdule-Sven has worked in the immunization branch of the California Department of Public Health since November of 2019 as as a research data analyst. Before working in public health, she was a lead over all clinical research for level two trauma center in Reno, Nevada. She graduated with her MPH from the University of Nevada, Reno. Nisha Gandhi has worked in the immunization branch for over 20 years, focusing on adult immunization activities. Nisha has been involved with the State Influenza Vaccine Program, the Vaccines for Adults Program, and COVID-19 vaccine rollout efforts. Brittany is adult is an adult immunization project specialist with CDPH. Her role focuses on supporting partner organizations in their adult immunization and quality improvement activities and at this time, I'd also like to acknowledge the Aliados Health team that has supported this work over the years. Valerie Nib, QI Data Analyst, Margo Garlica, um, Data Analyst, Ashley Scudoloni, QI Program Coordinator 2, Michelle Rosacci, Director of Programs, Arlene Pena, QI Senior Program Manager. So I'd like to uh, start us off um, by handing it to Michelle Rosacci, for an introduction and overview of the project, uh, starting with the first two years. Michelle.
1: Thank you, Arlene, and hello everyone. I'm excited to share some background about this partnership between the amazing team at CDPH, Aliados Health, CPCA, and the health centers to improve prenatal immunization rates in community health centers. So the purpose of the project was to explore potential reasons for variability across community health centers, as well as the limitations of using electronic health records, population health software, and the immunization registry for assessing prenatal immunization levels and use that information to develop preliminary recommendations for use of immunization assessment data for practice improvement. So we started in 2019. So the first year, we uh, the focus was on workflow assessments. We interviewed eight of the health centers and collected data from nine health centers to assess prenatal flu and Tdap vaccinations in our community health centers. We documented workflows, and we found more challenges with flu compared to Tdap. Um, the high-performing health centers were focusing on um, staff training on language and scripts. They were doing motivational interviewing. Uh, They were focusing on vaccines early in the pregnancy, and the low-performing sites were not doing staff trainings, they were not using the presumptions approach, and some of the barriers that we identified were um, fear of needles, uh, conspiracy theories, um, anti-vaccination, fear of flu shot, and uh, a component of the project was also focused on the California Immunization Registry, matching and improving data from the electronic health record. So in 2020 to 2021, we focused on some quality improvement projects that were led by the health centers. Um, During the assessment process, we did identify future um, next steps that health centers were interested in focusing on. And so many of the QI projects were selected from that. We also developed a driver diagram for Tdap and flu um, with change concepts that health centers could select from for their uh, QI projects. These projects included performing California Immunization Registry Reconciliation for patient flu vaccines to have more accurate patient data. Um, A health center focused on improving documentation of vaccines, uh, for example, documenting the status on their OB spreadsheet. Um, There was more consistent assessment of the prenatal immunization rates using the EHR data. Uh, We identified lists of patients due for prenatal Tdap and contacted them to schedule appointments, Improving patient education through flyers was a strategy, um, as well as discussing Tdap vaccination earlier with pregnant patients. We also surveyed patients who refused immunizations to learn more about their reasons. Um, And one health center had MAs offer the vaccines using the presumptive language, and they provided a script and tracked those who declined and then re-offered the vaccine over time. So some of the takeaways from these projects included um, adding the uh, California Immunization Registry data consistently improved immunization rates. Um, So that was exciting to learn. Most health centers did see improvements in their PDSA cycles. Um, However, COVID-19 complicated many of the projects, as you can imagine the timeline 2020. Um, So resources to focus on prenatal QI projects were limited and the number of patients seen during the cycles were often low. Um, So that was our our first phase of the project and I'm going to pass it over to Arlene to talk about how we we built on this.
0: Great, thanks Michelle. In year three we expanded to include COVID-19 immunizations with the goal of increasing COVID-19 immunization rates through enhanced partnerships with community-based organizations. So we developed a COVID-19 vaccine driver diagram and just uh, for reference this is a commonly used uh, QI tool that the Institute for Healthcare Improvement describes as a visual display of a team's theory of what drives or contributes to the achievement of a project aim. So change ideas or activities developed uh, reflected alignment with the primary drivers in the areas of tailoring patient education, patient and community centered access, building relationships and trust with communities, establishing and maintaining formal documentation such as developing written workflows and protocols for health center vaccine programs. So 10 health centers participated in that year and collectively administered more than 1900 adult COVID-19 vaccines. Participating health centers collaborated with over 20 community partners across the project period with 20% resulting in formal or written agreements uh, with community partners. And 90% of the participating health centers identified um, that they would be able to sustain these community partnerships, which we thought was really great. Uh, Community partnerships included schools, food distribution centers, churches, farms, and community health systems as well. Uh, Health centers identified that the community partnerships were essential in establishing community trust and improving immunization rates. This project highlighted the potential to build on and leverage partnerships even when capacity is limited and create joint messaging about important topics of COVID vaccination. Working with external partners, such as community-based organization takes time. And so it's important to allow enough time to plan events to work through some of the potential technological and logistical challenges. So something that health centers highlighted that is that it would be important to start these partnerships way in advance of maybe um, identifying an event to work on specifically together. And so, this also highlighted the need for written workflows and protocols when working with community based organizations. So, most recently in year four, we focused on prenatal rates, prenatal immunization rates for TDAP, influenza, and expanded to COVID 19 and included data analysis and California Immunization Registry care data match for participating health centers. Six health centers participated and conducted PDSAs to increase immunization rates in all three, Tdap, influenza, and COVID-19. This year really reflected a time for health centers to review their workflows through re-evaluations of their workflow assessments and uh, that were initially done in 2019, and re-implement and fine-tune some of the workflows that maybe became a bit fragmented post-pandemic and during the recovery. Finally, the CDPH and Aliados Health team have been working on developing a prenatal immunization assessment toolkit um, that will be published on the Aliados Health website soon. So with that, I'd love to hand it off to the CDPH team with uh, a request to highlight some of the notable notable data findings um, you have identified through the analysis of data we've collected over the years. So maybe Megan, can you provide some highlights of findings? Or anyone else on the CDPH team.
2: Yeah, I can do that, Arlene. Thanks so much. Um, this is Megan. Um, so, to give you kind of a background on the CARE MATCH process, um, the CARE MATCH process was actually originally created for health plans to compile a line list of vaccine records to calculate their fetus measures. But actually, based on the benefits um, we saw from this project, um, CARE now offers the CARE MATCH for health centers as well. So, you can find that. On our immunization website and the Care website as well. Um, So the Care Match process is actually a precise match based on first name, last name, and date of birth. And for this project, starting off in 2019, there were only two vaccines recommended during pregnancy, which were the flu and Tdap. So from 2018 to 2020, we did the um, Care Match just on um, flu and Tdap. And for just in the flu, we saw a three to four percent increase by including the care match, depending on the year, and then a one to 2% increase for the Tdap. In 2021, we did not do the care match, but in 2022, we reinstated that care match process and found an 8% increase for the flu vaccine and a 4% increase for the Tdap. So then we also did a care match on the um, COVID data. So for the COVID data, we did it a little bit different and we just did the number of doses received, as recommendations were kind of fluid at that time for having completed a primary series and boosters and if you're immunocompromised or changes in that variety, so we just did number of doses. And so something we did come across um, in learning was that those initial first doses, um, we found that Aliatos had a few doses that we did not have in care which is not too much of a surprise, given if you remember um, receiving your first primary doses, you probably didn't receive them with your primary. You may have written them, your name on a card, and unlike when you go to your provider, you normally put your full name. You know, there might have been some changes. Um, from my own personal experience, my date of birth was messed up, so I had to do a, have my care reconciled, so that could have happened, so that's probably why we saw that difference However, we did see overall a 3% increase by doing the care match for the COVID data. And I will hand it back to you, Arlene.
0: Great. Thank you so much for that overview of findings. I really appreciate it. I'd also like to highlight some project successes that you've noted over the years. And I'm wondering if uh, the CDPH team can start us off.
3: Yeah, I can take that. (laughs) Thank you, Arlene. So one of the project successes that have been notable to us is just the engagement of community-based organizations and working with the different health centers through our specific grant funding. Um, The partnership has been really um, a great learning experience because CDPH kind of works on a higher level with guidance in terms of recommendations and things that are happening at the state level. So partnerships have been really important to understand, you know, what is happening on the ground at different health centers and within the community. And so it's been a a good opportunity for CDPH to understand kind of what's happening within um, on the ground and within different clinics um, and understand how they are responding to what's happening in disease trends in response to state policies and programs. So um, this partnership is really important in understanding kind of what practices and interventions are working for the folks that are delivering vaccines. Um, And then it's helpful for us to understand what are notable practices that we can kind of share um, and, you know, share across um, a variety of populations and organizations doing the work. Um, And then also um, one of our big projects that Aliados has really been developing um, with some consultation from CDPH um, is this toolkit that we talked about um, for prenatal immunizations. And there's a lot of great resources um, and components that, you know, the users will be able to kind of access anywhere from um, understanding like how to assess prenatal immunization rates, kind of examples to help clinics work through that, as well as like understanding um, workflow assessments and helping health centers support uh, establishing a a baseline for their immunization rates. And so that toolkit will be published soon, um, but the context around it, we're hoping it'll be a resource that is actionable um, and that will help clinics be able to um, adapt it to prenatal, immunization, but towards a variety of different diseases, Um, not just the ones that are listed in the toolkit, but just a good example and templates for for folks to use as they're trying to embark on um, improving the quality of um, vaccine delivery and just vaccine infrastructure at their health centers. Great.
0: Thanks, Brittany. Yeah, I'd also just want to highlight like one of the successes and of this project is all of the tools that we've developed over the years that health centers will have access to um, like the driver diagrams um, so I think that's that's really great and I just think always um, being able to focus on this work through grant-funded projects is is a really great asset for health centers um, to be able to designate this time to focus on these, um, in these areas. I see some of our health centers uh, joining us in the live audience um, who have participated in this uh, work in previous years. And so if at any point you have any insights to share as we move forward, feel free to come off mute and maybe share some things that you've identified um, have been successful within your, your work in this multi-year project. Maybe to the Aliados Health team or other CDPH uh, team members, any other successes that you've identified over the years?
4: Thank uh, thank Arlene, this is Valerie. I just wanted to comment during the um, grant cycle when we were working with the community-based organizations, one of the outcomes of that was that it wasn't specific to COVID vaccine. They reached out to families and childrens, and um, you know, increase the uh, school aged immunization. So there were there was more than just the COVID piece of that, which was pretty remarkable in my mind. Absolutely, thank you for pointing that
0: out, Valerie. They took this opportunity and leveraged this opportunity to co administer other vaccines. Um, And I agree with you. I think that was a very successful point to highlight and the partnerships that they made that they will continue to sustain and the new partnerships that they formalized. um, I think that was a learning point for them too, the logistics and all of the barriers that I think inevitably you can't always account for. And so I think it was a great opportunity for them to learn about kind of planning with external partners in a sustainable way and and identifying um, the importance, um, if not solidifying the importance of, of continuously collaborating with community partners to gain uh, community trust, especially as we've seen the need for that um, during the pandemic. Anything else anybody wants to add? All right. Well, I will move us on. Um, for the CDPH team or the Aliados health team or any of the health centers on the line that participated, what were some challenges
4: that you identified over the multi year project? Hi, Arlene. This is Nisha. I'll go ahead and start with what we saw at the CDPH level. I just want to say that we were very impressed with all the hard work that happened over the last several years. And uh, the challenges that we have seen are. Usually challenges that are not exactly in our control or anyone's control. Uh, but we did also hear about things happening and we're we always looking to find ways to help overcome some of these challenges and, and figure out better ways of working with, with clinics and with providers. And so I think one of the biggest ones that we <clears throat> knew from the beginning and going into any grant is the, uh, the, bureaucracy that we deal with at CDPH. And so sort of the uh, level of paperwork involved with getting grants executed and then being able to provide money to you and then being able to provide it to clinics and knowing that everything works on a tight timeline. And so that is something that we, we have all have our varying levels of frustration with and keep looking for better ways of of making sure we can do these as smoothly and as quickly as possible to ensure that the funding is ready as soon as it can be, because that is definitely it's a big issue. And and we we certainly know it and we and we do all we can to address it. The other one is, and I don't even know if it's the elephant in the room anymore, it was the pandemic that completely changed everything, right? So it it altered so many things and so many processes and this grant was barely, we barely started the grant when COVID hit. And so having to switch gears a little bit and having to figure out what made sense and what were ways to work around the, the change in how clinics were operating, uh, that was, of course, massive. But I, I do applaud all of you in your clinics for doing all that you did during the pandemic and, and continuing with some of the grant work as well, because it was it was a challenging time. We also knew that flu vaccine acceptance rates continue to be less than optimal, and in some ways, um, we we saw it go up a little bit as COVID vaccine came out, which was interesting to see. And then now we have our new challenge, which is uh, I think vaccine fatigue might be the right term for it, but also in particular with COVID nineteen vaccines and sort of learning how to rebuild the trust and enthusiasm that we saw for covid vaccines back in 2020 2021 and that really waned and and now with the vaccine that's out there now knowing just how low coverage levels are for adults and so it is certainly um something that we are aware of and uh are looking for ways to to figure out how do we rebuild trust and And maybe it is a slow build just the way flu was for a long time. It's just over time uh, we continue. And and it'll help, I think, once there is a very consistent recommendation for COVID-19. And if it does turn into an annual vaccine along with flu, along with RSV, then we have a recommendation that's easier to package and and to get folks uh, buy-in on. Uh, The other thing that I wanted to address also is that we are very proud of our Vaccines for Children program, which has many of your clinics enrolled and does an incredible job of providing all ACIP-recommended vaccines for children on Medi-Cal and or uninsured kids. Uh, Our VFA program, Vaccines for Adults program, is structured very differently and is a much smaller program. And our vaccine for adults program is only intended for uninsured adults, and um, we we recognize the struggle that has, and even with that small sliver of a population in California, we we don't have enough vaccine supply. It is a very much budget based program, and um, we would love, and and it, and it is a it is federally supported, so um, we would love to have a program similar to VFC where. You could incorporate um, more medical adults into a program, but that that is not not on the horizon anytime soon. But we recognize that the cost of vaccine, um, the upfront cost of vaccine, is high, and there seems to be more and more adult vaccines coming out. And so all of that, um, and, and I don't believe we will ever see a cheap vaccine again. <laughs> and so um, the cost, you know. I, the cost of vaccines will always be, I think, a hurdle in some ways initially um, for clinics uh, and for a lot of providers. So just tying into that, um, what was amazing to see with the COVID-19 vaccine, uh, the initial rollout was it being completely paid by the federal government. And so coverage was not a problem. Reimbursement wasn't a big of an issue. And now we've switched out of that for all other vaccines. And I do think that the sort of struggle with payment uh, is something that we know is an issue and uh, needs to be uh, addressed. And, and that's certainly a much bigger policy uh, issue that, that we recognize is there, um, but certainly something that we continue to talk to our colleagues at DHCS about. Uh, and I then I think we've got one last thing data related. So Megan, did you wanna talk about Documentation. If not, then I can just quickly jump in. So the other thing that we do notice about um, challenges has to do with um, how the recommendations from CDC to document to document and it and or administer uh, differs between vaccines and between clinics. So uh, just the, the the challenges in getting the right documentation for. The different vaccines that are recommended by ACIP. So I think I will stop there, Arlene, and turn it back over to you and see if anyone else has any barriers or challenges they want to identify. Great, thanks so much, Nisha. I would just definitely
0: echo, you know, the the challenge of uh, especially flu vaccine acceptance and um, you the limited um, availability of um, vaccines in a you know exactly what you mentioned, so I think that's something from we've heard from health centers, and I think it's something that you are, it's constantly on your agenda to to move forward in a positive direction, so I would just echo that some of the things you've highlighted. I'd also like to discuss, I asked the CDPH team if you could speak on why funding this work is so important and uh, CDPH's role in continuing to support
4: this work. Thank you. Uh, So um, we at CDPH continue to see adult immunizations as a priority. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, uh, As I mentioned, a few of our programs, we do have a few programs in place that offer vaccines for adults, although the eligibility will vary by program. So we do have, as I mentioned, the Vaccines for Adults program. Right now we have our Bridge Access program as well as our state general fund blue um, program as well. Uh, we can provide technical support and some guidance on policies and expertise as needed uh, as clinics are figuring out or fine tuning their own processes. So this was a five year grant that we received from CDC. And it this is the final year of the grant right now. Uh, we will be, Paying very close attention to see if CDC releases any other RFAs around this. Um, my sense is that because of COVID, um, COVID nineteen vaccines, there's been generally a more a, a larger interest in adult immunizations in general at the federal level. So it is certainly taken on a much bigger role and a larger interest at the federal role um, than it has in the past. So uh, we're hoping that that translates into uh, additional projects, into additional funding for anything related to idolamizations. Uh, we don't know much at this point about additional funding past June of 2024, but we will certainly um, pay attention. And, and you know, I think with all this great work that everyone's been doing, we still know that idolamization rates are low. And um, what we want to do as much as we can with any work or any funding we get is continue to find, uh, identify gaps and challenges, and identify interventions that work. So this is this is all um, it's all positive news as we uh, continue to see adult immunizations still as a main focus in many ways. But we will keep our eye out and uh, keep looking for additional opportunities for funding. Great, thank you so much. Uh,
0: and then what are some resources and support uh, CDPH can provide to health centers and in what other ways outside of grant funded work does CDPH work with health centers to support increasing immunization rates?
4: Yeah,
3: I can take this one. Um, so CDPH can offer, you know, broadly, Um, information, education, um, guidance on different policies and, for example, like ACIP recommendations. Um, And so, like Nisha mentioned, uh, we do have a lot of programs that are ongoing and working with health centers and providers to provide um, vaccine supply, um, as well as some guidance on, you know, how to uh, adjust to different um, policies and, and programs. Um, And then also we provide a lot of different uh, materials and webinar opportunities. Um, We have the um, easyiz.org website that has a lot of information um, and resources, especially for providers. Um, You can find um, all of our past webinars um, regarding, you know, teach webinars and um, Bridge Access Program, State General Fund, RSV. So we upload a lot of resources to the ECIV website. And then on our CDPH website, we also have various resources for, you know, if you're making a decision um, as a healthcare provider or, you know, as a family member for your children, um, there's resources that you can look through various um, diseases and look at, you know, disease information and reports. Um, And then for providers, there's also toolkits. Using you know promotional materials developed by our immunization branch um, to help increase vaccination. And then earlier we had mentioned you know care and working with care data. We often have a care team and a help desk that um, is able to help troubleshoot um, any issues if you're looking to you know join care and and work within that specific tool. Um, so at CDPH, um, you know we're really just looking to provide as much um, information um, as possible and make sure that folks are, um, you know, connected to us and and, um, continue that network.
0: Great, thank you, Brittany. Well, I think that at this time, I'd like to just open it up for any additional comments, general comments from the Aliados Health team or the CDPH team on this multi-year project. Um, I myself would just like to say thank you to the CDPH team Uh, because this has been a very valuable multi-year project and it's really a reflection of how important it is to continuously work in this area um, of focus. And so um, it's been a really valuable partnership, I think not just for um, the Aliados health team, but also for our health centers. Um, So just a big special thank you to you. All right, well then I think with that, I'd love to open it up for questions from our live audience.
5: Hi, this is Jose from Petaluma Health Center. Um, I work in the quality improvement department and our health center participates uh, in a couple of different programs, you know, the the BAP, VFC, VFA, all of those, which is great because it allows us to provide, you know, higher quality care for our patients and make sure that they're getting all their immunizations. Um, The one thing that I have personally found a little bit more difficult is um, really utilizing the VFA program to its fullest potential. And I say that because with the VFC program, we have the ACPI recommendations. So it's easier to follow a plan, right? Babies, you know, when they're born, their immune system isn't set up to really help fight off some of these uh, infections or diseases. Um, But with adults, I feel like the idea or the thought is that, you know, their body has kind of either come in contact with some of these things already and kind of um, created some sort of support So when we're doing targeted outreach for some of these vaccines, um, we've gotten some providers saying like, well, why are they on my schedule for this, like, hepatitis A vaccine when they're not really needed, right? They don't see anything on their problem list that would indicate that um, they should get the vaccine. So I was just wondering if there are any resources or any ideas as to how we can better utilize the VFA program. And if there's any education available for providers that we can give uh, saying, you know, they don't have this on their problem list, but it's still something that we should be um, offering our patients. That's
0: a great question, Jose, thank you. Um, I will hand it over to the CDPH team if anybody wants to take that one.
4: Sure, Uh, thank you so much for that comment. That's really uh, helpful to hear. And I wanted to see if Dr. Liu had anything to add um, I do think it's an interesting uh, comment around providers rec- questioning some of the recommendations that are coming out. So Dr. Liu may have some suggestions on on how to address that, or even point to some resources.
6: Uh, thanks, Nisha, and thanks for the question, Jose. Um, I think maybe one comment would just be, as Nisha talked about, the increasing number of vaccines, also the increasing complexity of the guidance. Um, sometimes, as you mentioned with hepatitis A, these are risk-based recommendations. So providers may not be familiar with the different risk groups that got added. There were a number that were added a few years ago. So I think one thing is that through our VFA program, we do provide updates on the latest guidance and our webinars. We do have a number of materials available, but I think one place that providers often get information is at the point of care, like when they're um you know, they have the order set open or something like that. So um, I would say one is that we do have a number of materials available. Um, I think our team would be happy to think through with you, like what would be helpful in terms of like putting additional guidance or alerts um, and, and uh, what would be helpful to kind of have the information at people's fingertips rather than they have to go and find the CDC guidance and, and match everything up curious if anybody else has other reflections or thoughts on what would be helpful. Um, Just wanted to really acknowledge that the guidance is often fairly complex and uh, maybe challenging to follow.
4: And we do our VFA webinars that, um, uh, our our VFA webinars are held four times a year and we do hold one usually right after the new adult immunization schedule is released. And so uh, we can certainly, I would recommend, uh, and, and I don't believe we're the only ones. The VFA program does it, but I, there are lots of federal medical associations that also uh, take time after a schedule is um, released to go over the changes and what to be aware of. So I would certainly recommend the sort of continued uh, attendance at those types of things, because I think it really helps keep up with a very complicated schedule.
0: I'm curious if there's opportunity for maybe health center um, specific uh, Q&A sessions or presentations. I imagine sometimes it could be hard for uh, providers to get to or staff to get to some of those webinars if they have a you know schedule conflict. And I'm not quite sure if that's already a resource to provide like a health center specific um, at the health center site or virtually um, a Q&A session or uh, informational for providers.
6: Maybe I'll mention that the VFA webinars are recorded. Um, I think if health centers do have questions or would like us to point to what the helpful resources would be, I think our main um, email inbox, which is immunizationbranch at cdph.ca.gov, is open. Um, so that would be one, um, one resource. And we can also share that on eziz.org. Um, all of the resources are linked. Um, so I
0: like think that those would be two opportunities.
5: Great, thanks Dr. Lu. Hi, hey, this is Jose. Um, I will say I do find the VFA webinars um, incredibly helpful, all of the webinars to be completely honest. Uh, last year, our health center went through a couple of different changes as far as the vaccine formulation that we're offering. So the, the trainings um, that were provided were great because it gave us the information that we needed to, you know, teach our staff and our providers. Um, And it will say for specific vaccines, like, you know, uh, MMR, ProQuad, Varicella, Tdap, those are a little bit easier for us to use up because um, we have patients who are coming in for immigration physicals who qualify for those. It's only, you know, the other ones that don't get really used up that we have a harder time really utilizing, you know, before they expire or we have to, you know, send them back or whatever the case may be. So I think around those vaccines, it would be helpful to have, you know, additional resources or for the childhood immunizations, they're they're very much age-based, right? So you know, if they're eight months old, they should have this number of vaccines because, you know, um, if, if they don't get it by that time, they age out of it and it's not recommended anymore. If there was something like that for adults, I feel like it would be a lot easier for us to also help educator providers and letting them know, well, they're this, you know, they're 20 or 30 years old and they have never received one. So that's why we're putting them on your schedule, right? So just to ease some of that. Um...
0: Sorry, Jose, I think you're cutting off. But his audio might be um, a little fragmented, but I think that, um, I think we captured kind of your request. And I wonder um, to the CDPH team, if that's something we can, you know, evaluate for a future, um, opportunity.
4: Yeah, no, the adult immunization schedule is complicated, no doubt, and so (laughs) um, being able to simplify it to, to, so it's similar to childhood would be an amazing thing. Um, no, but I, I do, I, uh, it is also interesting to sort of hear, um, what vaccines are utilized more through the VFA program, um, because we, as a program, the VFA program, uh, do a, it's a very tight budget and we look at all the vaccines that are offered and make these really hard decisions on whether or not to include certain ones or remove others. Mm-hmm. And the vaccines that get, fall to the top of the list are often the more expensive vaccines. So it's the shingles vaccine, it's oh, wow. um, the, the new pneumococcal Have NAR20, right? So it's uh, those vaccines that are not given in the same way as MMR. So those are definitely more population based, but um, maybe not those numbers are not seen uh, in large numbers at some of these clinics. But yeah, so it's really great to get feedback uh, because I do think that we are doing everything we can to improve the VFA program and to make it as useful as possible as we can within the budget that we have in place for it right now, the current budget.
0: I love that, and we have a thumbs up from the audience, so they agree, (laughs) and we appreciate all of the help.
6: And then I'll also just make another plug that um, when you attend the VFA webinars, you also have an opportunity to share requests for materials, we do take requests very seriously and it does help guide additional materials that we produce, so um, really appreciate the feedback. Certainly try to incorporate some of those ideas into our upcoming. Um, presentations.
0: Great. Thanks, Dr. Liu. Really appreciate the insights and the questions um, from our audience. And I think that uh, concludes our podcast for today with the CDPH team on prenatal immunizations. So I just want to say thank you again to the CDPH team, and thank you for joining the QI chat room podcast. We appreciate you, our listeners, for joining us today. Um, and if you have any suggested topics for future episodes, please email them to aliadoshealth.org. And please follow us, Aliados Health, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Goodbye for now. And until next time on the QI Chat Room Podcast.